welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. I am here. It is a uh, Friday here in Toronto when we're recording it. It may be a different day for you. But today it is starting to look and feel a little bit like the end of summer. Um, and I'm, I'm still a little warm here in the studio, so that's... Uh, oh, the studio's warm. <laughs> I'm sitting in studio this week uh, with Stefan, who's been on consistently now for quite some time. So thank you for backing me up here, Stefan. Uh, and uh, um, the ooh, I should also turn the sound of my phone off. Uh, we've got a, a live interview today, and then a whole bunch of news again. So we're going to actually jump right into the interview and uh, and get back into some news in just a moment. So let's get right to uh, Francis Scherer, who's actually in the studio with us here right now from Blank Ride. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Francis. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what it is that you do and what Blank Ride is actually specifically, and then basically part of the idea we wanted to have you on, of course was to talk about what uh, what your company does, but then also sort of move more generally into the idea, this idea of the sharing economy and the, the idea of the blurring also between the sharing economy and the traditional economy and, uh, and how these two things are sort of uh, separate but complementary and, and all the interesting things that are going on in the innovation space uh, in this country and, and around the world right now. Uh, but let's start with the very big basics. Uh, can you describe for us, please, what Blank Ride is, what it does, and what's your connection to the project? Uh, yeah, definitely. So Blank Ride is a dedicated carpooling and commuting application. Um, basically, we facilitate a connection between two parties. We use our proprietary algorithm to match them so you don't have to go searching through you know, a million other people on you know, sites like Kijiji or Smart Commute or anything like that. Uh, and then we basically set a base rate for people so that they can negotiate a price to commute into the city together and maybe grow a social network and uh, establish a good connection that way. So the uh, the obvious thing we of course have to get out of the way yeah. right away is the the obvious connection to people say so what you mean is Uber so do you want to address that that's people what's going to happen in a lot of people's heads do you want to yeah yeah to totally the Uber question is something that we're very familiar with uh, so basically our, our distinguishing feature between uh, that company and what we do is we don't create the option for your vehicle being the sole form of profit. So you're not using your vehicle as a commercial vehicle or anything even remotely close to that. We limit the amount of rides you can do. We don't allow you to make a profit. So we actually cap the amount you can negotiate to as far as compensation for commuting or or monetary compensation or anything like that. Mm. So basically, we're not in a competitive space. We're in a cooperative space. So we're trying mm. to get people to the same destination together as opposed to everybody separately to their own destinations. Um you know, that being said, you know, there are definitely benefits to other services, but we feel that this is for more long trips. This is for more getting to work as mm. opposed to anything else. As It's not a short trip uh, idea. So that, so that is a really big sort of difference. And it's uh, it's interesting. And the reason I wanted to highlight that sort of right away is that it's the basis of what I was saying at the beginning there, which is that um, – Companies like Uber keep getting confused in the media for sharing economy, and really, they're not. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a hailing economy, and they're definitely another way to, you know, generate a profit and subsidize your income. And what we're trying to do is subsidize the cost of commuting. So mm-hmm. we're going to provide you with enough of uh, compensation to essentially, you know, make commuting free for the driver, mm-hmm. which is is a lot better. We're cheaper than you know other forms of transit, and 
we're not trying to be like, oh, you can make, you know, a huge living off of this. Like, no, that's not the idea behind it. We're trying to have people be cooperative. We're trying to improve, you know, traffic flow by removing cars off the road, putting more people in empty seats. You know, you, you drive into the city on any given day and you see, you know, 75% one-seat vehicles and you're like, oh, my God, like, what's going on here? No wonder I'm stuck in traffic because everybody's competing to get to the same space. We want to cooperate with that. I, that's something I, I want to ask you to, to elaborate on a little bit more because that's something that I find consistently whenever I go to uh, uh, you know a cycle to meeting or uh, hundreds of things when we're talking about especially urban traffic and of course we're in Toronto here so we're talking about Toronto traffic here Toronto like many big cities in many parts of the North America anyway have been designed almost exclusively for the function of the car. Um, and that's one of the things that bicycle advocates will say was, hey, you should want infrastructure for bikes because the amount of space that a bike lane takes up is taking so many more bikers than the space it's asking for. This is taking bikes off the road. Drivers should want to encourage others who want to bike to be able to do that because it increases transit times for everybody. Um, but the cycling community has not had a huge, they've had some success, but I wouldn't say huge amount of success with that argument. Are you finding better luck with that argument? We're finding better luck to a certain extent like we do agree that you know cycling is a fantastic form of transit is very ecologically friendly and we're really in support of cyclists and you know i've been a cyclist for quite a while and i really do appreciate the subtleties of being a cyclist um we're finding that people it's going to be a behavior shift as much as we don't want to admit it it's definitely going to be that because it is difficult to to have the idea of carpooling be sexy and be you know the next you know form of transit that's you know preferred by everyone it's difficult but i think you know the right-minded individuals will participate in this program and Mm. that's the kind of idea we're trying to do is is create a community of like-minded individuals and trying to get traction that way so it is working for us and we do find that it is a bit of a behavior shift but it will be successful we think toronto is is definitely like uniquely ready for something like this you know Mm. a lot of other cities in the world they're probably not in that headspace yet and that's okay. Like, you know, it's inherent to the Canadian to want to share and, and want to be unique in that sense. So, you know, we're not necessarily capitalizing on it. We just realize that, you know, it's time to do something like this and it's time to change the way that we have our commuting behavior. Mm-hmm. And has there been any, um, we've, we've of course talked about the, the legal trouble of things like Uber, which again, is you're yeah. not doing them, but have you experienced any sort of negotiation with municipalities? Has there been any sort of things that you've had to go, oh, okay, we have to go and make an agreement with somebody or anything? Or did you, were you just, did you basically just set up shop and and there you go so what we did was a little bit of a and a little bit of b so (laughs) we we did just set up shop but we made sure that our policies aligned with the highway traffic act and the uh, personal vehicles act Mm -hmm. so we're not trying to violate anything you know carpooling has been happening since cars got put on the road people have been like oh here's 20 bucks for gas you know it's never been really regulated and all we're doing is facilitating a connection so we're not really stepping on anybody's toes uh, by limiting the amount of trips that you can take we actually qualify under certain regulations um you know by not providing a profit uh, profit gaining mechanism. So we're not actually trying to step on anybody's toes or cross lines. We're just trying to find an appropriate way to meet the standards today and get people moving in a cooperative manner. Mm. Was the reason you started in Toronto because you were here or is Toronto, do you think, perfectly as sort of like was the best choice of a place to start in Canada? Was there, was there an option about where you sort of launched this program? Uh, I didn't launch the program personally, but uh, yeah, Toronto was definitely one of our, our priorities, mainly because we do feel that it is unique in the sense that it is ready for something like this. So, uh, you know, trying to do something like this in, you know, maybe New York, for example, as much as I love the city, I don't necessarily think that this would necessarily fly there. 
Uh, also, we're having transit issues in the city. It's you know undeniable for anybody who's ever tried to go 10 blocks in the city, you know it's frustrating. So by trying to take cars off the road and alleviate traffic, yeah, we thought it was a perfect environment for it. Mm. So what do you what would you hope the sort of buy in what how much sort of use are you expecting? Have you have you had a significant amount of people buy uh, sort of buy in as you will and, and start using the app yeah. already? Oh, 100 percent. Like we have, you know, organic matches happening all the time. We have uh, over 5000 users currently registered with our, our our membership service and program. Like it's a free app to download. So it doesn't cost anybody anything. The only time you incur any monetary expenses when you actually complete a ride and that's just like any other you know shared economy or ride hailing application mm. and that's one of the reasons i like talking about this thing so much is that it's it's a really great example of sort of you know government has sort of dropped the ball on 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 doing this and and to the extent part of it it's not their fault because you know, voters keep voting in people alternatively with different visions. And so it's hard to have some sort of long-term plan. Uh, and this has created a space where a whole bunch of industrious people, such as Blank Ride, but also, I mean, all sorts of other guests that we've had, had on the show, the Toronto Tool Library. I mean, we could, I could spend an hour just listing organizations and groups and companies that have started to sort of fill in that gap uh, of public policy to, to try and deal with our massive uh, transit problems. Um, now that this is becoming more of a thing and it's becoming more regularly, eventually it will bleed up to government. Uh, is there a hope? Is there any ideas? Is there any plans to try and actually work with uh, larger organizations or governments at any level to sort of make this more of a status quo thing? Or is this sort of, are you working kind of more in a wild west space where it's like, <laughs> we'll see what happens, but for now yeah. we're going to take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, the shared economy in general is a wild west space because it is so... It's so commercially new. It's not a new theory or a new practice in general because everybody's been sharing things, trading things. You know, and there's been a trade economy established in the Toronto area for the longest time. So we're we would love to work with other uh, organizations in creating proper regulations to establish more companies similar to what we do and similar to what Uber does. But you know, it's going to take time, and you know. Thank God we have companies that are willing to push the envelope and are willing to, you know, overreach, you know, to an extent and try and, and change things uh, a little bit more uh, guerrilla tactic esque, let's say, <laughs> just by you know show up and do it and let's see what happens. But uh, they're they're reacting in, in a great manner, and I think our mayor is actually really helping along this by being open to the idea of a new economy and a new way of transit and new way of actually you know meeting people and creating a community that is Toronto. So. Mm. So how, what a big of an element of sort of your uh, outreach is sort of labeling with the, like is sharing economy sort of front and center and part of you're doing that? Do you, are you finding that that sort of language is something that people are starting to recognize and resonate and go, oh, okay, yeah, it's a sharing economy thing. I want to learn more about that. Is that, is that a draw for your audience for you? Oh, definitely. We definitely think it's a draw. And we're, that's exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Like it's environmentally friendly. It's a new economic space. And we find that it's a better, it's a better system in general by creating the option to participate in it. We're not forcing people to participate in it. It's just an alternative economy. It's not anything that's, you know, shocking to people. It's just like, yeah, if you want to do this and people have been doing it for a long time, you know, Kijiji and Craigslist have been set up for, for years and years and years and they've been doing this. All we're doing is facilitating it in a way more effective manner. So I think it's it's a, a great thing that Torontonians are actually starting to pay more attention to it, and it's gaining popularity. So awesome! So if you're just tuning in, we're t uh, you're listening to the Green Majority now. We're talking to Francis Scherer from uh, Blank Ride. Uh, sorry, Blanc Ride. <laughs> Blanc Ride. I read the language Blank guide. Blank Ride on your works website. for us. We you know. It's the <laughs> <laughs> so so we didn't actually cover that. Why don't we come back? Do you want to explain why what the technicality there with the name is? There's a there's a reason yeah, why it's it, pronounced that way. Yeah, Blanc, Blanc Ride or Blanc Ride. It, you know, you say it the way you want as long as you use it. We're happy. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's. 
you know, the historical traditional use of the French Blanc as in, you know, something new and innovative uh, and ride is obviously like a new innovative form of transit. So we're, you know, just thought we'd be creative for a couple of minutes there and then hope for the best. And it seems to work and people question it and then they find out what it's all about. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. We really like that idea. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting play on words and we're enjoying it right now. Awesome. Uh, so we're going to go to uh, a music break in, in just a moment here now. And, uh, and then uh, Stefan and I have got mm-hmm. a, a, an insanely large list of news so again this week. Stories. Uh, but I just uh, sort of as the final thing, do you want to just sort of walk people through uh, how this would actually work? So maybe somebody's listening right now. They're interested. Yeah. They download the app. What actually happens? Walk us through the actual process of using your, your program. Yeah. So it, it operates different for a driver and for a passenger. So if you have a vehicle, which we do hope you, you know, are providing rides for people, um, you download the application. You register as a driver, you input your vehicle ID, you input your driver license ID. Uh, It's our policy to run background checks as soon as we get that information. Um, Then you post a ride. You say you're going from A to B. Those are your most common destination points. And then we will match people with you. So it's very straightforward. That's all you essentially have to do. It has GPS. uh, We have a chat feature. You can recognize who your drivers are, who your passengers are. And then you negotiate your price. We set a base fare based on what it would cost uh, a vehicle to operate. Uh, for that distance. And then you go from there. If you ever have any problems, we have a customer service team that's incredibly efficient and they respond within, you know, minutes, if not hours. So we, we get, you know, as much traction as we possibly can and people are, are really starting to like it. So. All right. Well, it's uh, great to hear about Blank Ride and thank you so much for coming in and joining the show. I'm hoping you'll, you'll stick around and comment on some news, but for Definitely. now, thank you for sharing uh, that. And if people are interested in learning more, we will have a link on the website where you can go and check it out yourself. Uh, I know, Stefan, even just from watching the, uh, the, the listserv that there's uh, probably about a, maybe a weekly or bi-weekly basis, there's, there's CSI internal emails going on. Is, is somebody going to, to Montreal? I want yeah. to catch a ride. So yeah, that's this is definitely do. if your students going home yeah. for the weekend, like mm-hmm. we can do all that kind of stuff. You want to just go out to Ikea to get, you know, something for your dorm room. Set up a commute ride. You know, you can do that. So Awesome. Uh, so Stefan's going to come back in just a moment after the music break and start us off, I think, with one of the news stories. There was a ton sure. of really interesting stuff this week, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get to that part as well. Uh, but uh, let's get to our first music break, and Edward has a special treat for this uh, this week. Edward, what are we going to listen to? Hi. Uh, one of my friends, uh, Rob Jankowski, um, he just recently released an album, uh, Norman Take a Knee. Um, and I asked him if I could play, you know, two songs from it because it's Canadian content. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. So the first song is uh, Cabin Fever." Wait, can I just oh. guess how that conversation went? Hey, friend, can I play your song on the radio? Yeah, and, and he went yes. Yes, definitely. He was like, "Please, <laughs> please do that." Yeah, pretty well yeah. for everyone. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So this first song, um, he said he wrote it in a very blue rodeo fashion. But you don't you don't want to mess with those guys. They're they're pretty tough. So he had to change it. He didn't want to upset them. Uh, and luckily he did because I I think it's one of the best songs on the album. So uh, here's Cabin Fever by Rob Jankowski.
And I just can't seem to find And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm in studio uh, still with Stefan Hostetter and Francis Scherer. Francis is going to stick around and help us dissect some news. And Stefan is going to start us off in just a moment. Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind folks that we have a new initiative thing here we're doing. I'm pretty excited about it, Stefan. Mm, I'm, I'm actually very excited about it. Um, I think it's a really cool idea. So every single week, we always post all the links to the news stories that we talk about on the website. So that if there's something we mention in passing or if I just have time to read the headline, uh, they're sort of my picks for the top news stories of the week. If you want to get every news story that exists, you follow us on Twitter because I tweet incessantly. Uh, most of them are retweets, but the ideas with the Twitter feed is largely we're curating news, uh, Canada and world uh, top stories. But the ones that we pick for the radio show are essentially my top picks for that week. Mm. What we're doing now, Stefan, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't. You didn't know this, except for last week when I told you. Yes. But other than that, you didn't I know. I intentionally forgot, so I then could say I didn't this time. Awesome. Uh, so what we're doing now is that uh, the list is still there with the news stories that we talk about on the show. But now, now it is in an interactive survey monkey format, which means that you can go and you can click on the one and you can vote for the news. That's what it's called. Button on the website called Vote for the News. What it means is if there's something we talk about in passing or if we just rush, sort not rush through, but if we if we don't have a feature on it, if we just sort of cover it in a, as a conversation, as a quick conversation, and you want to learn more. The way you do that now is you go to the website, you vote for the news, and then we will follow up with it. We will try our best to get an interview, if it's at all possible, if it's even relevant to the story. If not, we will do more research uh, and come back and talk about it in a little bit more detail. So the results of last week's poll. Are you ready, Stephen? I am. Harperman. Ooh. People want to know about Harperman. People want to know more. They want to hear more. They Maybe even they want us to play the song again. Huh. Uh, but you have spoken, ye audience, and I am going to officially try and get an interview with Harperman. All right. So there it is. Uh, this week's news stories, as we're about to start, will be posted on this week's show. The voting for that is now uh, is now done. Uh, the beginning of the show from the follow from the next week will be the cutoff for that. So uh, the voting is now done for this week. Harperman is the winner, and we're going to start in this week's news. So if you're listening and something sounds interesting, you want to know more, remember to go to the website and vote for the news. With that, Stefan, take it away. Thank you. Uh, so the, I, uh, this has, there isn't a news story with this, uh, with the beginning. I apologize. You cannot vote for this. You're not allowed to vote for what I'm about to say. Well, we uh, could still interview the author. Okay. Uh, well, no, I meant more specifically the beginning of my book. Oh, oh yes. Okay. Uh, which has, you'd, you'd interview me next tomorrow. If, if people really want to vote, <laughs> include a link to whether or not you wanted me to talk more about this, um, uh, which basically is a very short plea. It's a plea. I think at this point, it's a desperate, mm. desperate plea to all, all media. Mm -hmm. Everyone who ever considers themselves media. Hashtag CDN media. Yes. Uh, any, literally anybody uh, to stop calling Uber the sharing economy. Yes. Please stop. Do that. You're wrong. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> to stop. Uh, Glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Just, <laughs> it makes me feel bad. And just so we're also clear, Francis did not pay you or even ask you to say that. No, like three weeks ago, I asked if I could have an entire show where I just said that. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree, mind you. I'm not going to you know, right. refute yeah. that at all. I think that's a great um, um, yeah. Innovative technology-inspired business opportunities that have been created by new technology is not the same as something based on sharing principles. Yeah, it, it, like, and, like, 
like the two they always otherwise McDonald's would be the sharing economy because they're sharing their french fries with you for money exactly so kind of them um, <laughs> like really like, like let's be real here like I don't understand like Uber and it's 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 if ever if ever there's a way to show what the media just sort of goes with whatever the biggest name is and then tries to find a hook of a way to talk about something the fact that they literally think every newsroom in across the world got a, got someone calling in said the, like this head executive probably said talk about uber people like think of, are talking about that we need a story about that and then people were like how can we talk about that and then uber was like hey we're the sharing economy and they're like really let's talk about that <laughs> instead of doing any actual research into i don't know what sharing means <laughs> Yeah, I think the defining feature there is like generating profit kind of like separates you away from the sharing economy. If you're making a profit from this, generally that's not sharing, that's capitalizing. And welcome to the capitalist economy, which is kind of what we're all participating in currently. Yeah. So it's a and little it's, bit different. And I think – and that's why if I can speak for Stefan for a minute, that's why it gets under our skin is because it is it is the exact opposite. It's not just that it's slightly inaccurate. It's the opposite of it, the it's, it's just what we're all – everyone else is doing. Like if I create an app in which you know some uh, you can buy couches, I'm not sharing the couch with you. Maybe that's what their problem is. Maybe they just think that anything that's run through an app is sharing. Is sharing economy? Maybe there you go. Yeah, we shared it we on your phone, at... so now it's a sharing. Exactly. Economy. Amazon <laughs> app is now part of the sharing economy. They will share books for <laughs> yeah. money. Everyone uh, books for money. Uh, I actually designed an app. We never published it, but I because I had to pay for it. But I designed it already, mm-hmm. um, and through that, people uh, could uh, sign up for stuff. So maybe we're the sharing economy. Yes, now. I think everyone is a sharing economy. Yeah, because uh, we're all sharing our skills for labor mm-hmm. uh, or for la- our, our, our skills for money. That's what we're doing. We're all sharing with each other. I am sharing with you my labor and you are sharing with me your money. Exactly. That's all sharing. It's, it's the lovely sharing. We're a big happy everybody. family. And now uh, I feel bad for interns because they're the only one not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> interns are actually the sharing economy. There's, that is 100% sharing. Right now there's about 500 interns listening to the show being very aggravated. Right <laughs> it's like, I've been sharing my time for years. God. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's like I could I really actually did ask for an entire show where I just complained about people calling Uber the sharing economy i was going to then go into all the things that actually are the sharing economy and why uber isn't the sharing economy uh but i think we've sort of beaten this one uh beaten the horse a little bit right now for this week for this week <laughs> uh we'll get into if you have if you if you really do think the sharing uber is the sharing economy and have any argument for that please email us yeah and i will i will i would love to read the argument i have an idea uh yeah. it's not on the it's not on the uh it's not on the vote but if you can actually there's a submission on vote for the news where you can actually add your own news story mm. so if you think we totally missed something you can actually just send us any news story that you want and then it'll go on the list and other people can vote right. for it uh so if you want us to try and get uber on the show and then argue with them about whether or not they're sharing economy <laughs> you can send that to vote for the news yeah, and we'll do please it. call me down for that day. <laughs> happily show we'll just hide you in the tech booth no they won't know just you're pop here. up every yeah. now and then be like you're a liar okay no, yeah. um like the, the two they always obviously use are airbnb and the sharing economy and oh sorry and and Uber. And to me, Airbnb is at least closer. It's still not exactly there. But at the very least, like, to call anything the sharing economy, in my mind, there has to be an element in which uh, resources are being consumed less because they're used collectively. Right. And uh, if you want to make the argument that people don't aren't buying cars because they can Uber, go for it. I don't believe you. When that happens, <laughs> when that happens, you get to call it the sharing economy. Yes, and then why aren't we calling taxis the sharing economy? Bingo. Uh, or it. like, let's be real here. Um, or buses or planes. No, I take. I'm I, I, like, no one claims Boeing is in the business of building massive sharing economies and flying them across the <laughs> ocean. 
Uh, anyways, so unless that, you had a Boeing plane full of Uber executives, right, exactly. <laughs> then that's the sharing economy. The what perfect we, storm. Right? What if we put Uber cars in a plane and flew them somewhere? There we go. Um, if it was all done for free. We could talk about it. There you go. <laughs> the sharing economy only comes in black luxury vehicles. There you go. Uh, so, anyways, with all of that now now out of the way, uh, we can get to actual news and not me just complaining about people calling Uber the sharing economy. Um, uh, which actually brings us to a the one I wanted to start with actually uh, was the state of the climate movement, mm. which is an article written. Uh, it's actually a, it's a, it is a remarkable article actually. It's a quite a good article written by Alex Evans on Global Dashboard, which is a website I've never heard of before, uh, but apparently publishes good content. So it's a good article. I was uh, I, I should also be fair and say that a, a listener uh, sent this in. So thank you, Tanya. Oh, and you. if you have other articles that you think are awesome, please send them in. Yeah, um, and it's it really just is a great breakdown of where where the climate movement was is now, like ha- what happened where it is now, um, and. There's a whole bunch of great quotes. One of them is how the Tea Party ran over environmentalists like a t- with a tank. Um, <laughs> while their backs uh, returned. While their backs returned, exactly. Uh, and then sort of where we are now and what is working now, uh, which is interesting, and, 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 what is, and what still, where we still have to go. And, I th- and what, what's interesting about it is one part of it does have this element. Uh, what I wanted to highlight actually was in the end, they're sort of talking about you know, what is left. What is left to succeed? Uh, and they talk first about uh, the difference between sort of part of our narrative still remains a good guys and bad guys narrative, mm. uh, which is so simultaneously, uh, I think, powerful in some ways, but won't get us to where we need to eventually end up. Mm. Um, on that on the side front, uh, there's, a, there's another new news article, which I will happily tease right now for half a second. It's not a big article. Basically, um, in – in, uh, in California, they had a climate bill. Oil companies campaigned massively against it, got a big one percentage of uh, one part of it ripped out of it, which was a part that said 50% reducing, um, reducing gasoline use by 50%. Oil companies were like, that would hurt our revenue. Uh, and then, and so then it got, they got lost in the, and then they, they said, it. yeah, that's the point. Yes. And then they said, well, we don't like that. And then California was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, so obviously the good, bad, uh, Good bad narrative is still there and still mm-hmm. strong because you, we are fighting against specific. There are people out there who are actually in their minds being like, you know what, I should stop climate action. So that exists. But the regulator, I don't have the story in front of me, but the the regulator, what was interesting was the regulator that said about that was that uh, said they won the skirmish but lost the war. Yeah. The reason he said that was because he said now it is. I, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said now it is my life's mission to take these jerks down. <laughs> uh, he's right. like they they have they have got themselves a powerful new enemy because just and I think it was because he was he. Was sort of disenchanted a little bit of some of his mysticism about the fact that the system worked. That he didn't say that, but that's sort of what it sounded like. Was that he's like, oh, okay, no, this game is just rigged, and now you've pissed me off. Right. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a regulator. It's. I mean, lots of activists feel that way, but to see somebody in government be like, this is personal now. I'm coming after you guys. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah, let's do it. It's finally um, somebody fighting like from the appropriate stance with a position of power. Is is a great thing. It's a nice evolution in the way that you know the ebb and flow of politics has been going. So mm-hmm. to have somebody stand up for the environment that wasn't just being paid to do so is a really nice change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so when we get back, to, uh, so back into the article, what they're saying is they, what they, the shift from the good bad to a sort of collectivist uh, mass action sort of narrative. Uh, and what I want to get to, I think, which, which connects to the sharing economy and everything else, uh, is a, a quote from uh, Mika White, of the, one of the co-creators of Occupy, mm-hmm. um, in which she writes uh, – sorry, he writes um, – what, I, what I'm proposing is a type of activism that focuses on creating a mental shift in people, basically an epiphany. Mm. Uh, and I th- I've been thinking about this more and more uh, because I think this idea of trying to build up critical mass to an epiphany moment uh, is sort of – is 
I think how we have any hope. I think that's really what we have to hope for. And I think things like uh, the sharing economy and the maker community and all these sort of things are are the tools that once we make that epiphany happens, these are all the things that we will have in place. And they'll be like, oh, wait, we actually have the tools to make this happen. And it just requires a mental shift. I think, say, 10, 15 years ago, even if you had the mental shift, there wasn't as much in place to make the mental shift actionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think two or three weeks ago, we had a conversation about how um, in leading up to – there was a right person who works for the UN who was saying that they were really concerned about – this upcoming uh, COP in December because they didn't think they had done enough actual groundwork on the actual language of the bill. Mm-hmm. Sort of the actual idea of, uh, like, it doesn't matter if everyone comes saying, yes, we want, it, we want this to happen. They hadn't done enough of the actual technical work uh, to get to, even if they all agreed, they, the, the, that wasn't there. And I think what we're seeing now in society more generally is society is creating all of the small pieces that once you just flip that switch, it happens. Mm. Um, and especially, you know, it leads up to especially a what it comes down to is ever. There's so many great ideas working around that need a market. Uh, government can create that market. Market. Uh, that's all we need at this point. Like at, as soon as government decides, you know what we actually can do? We're going to have a real price on carbon. Uh, suddenly, every single part of the share economy explodes because suddenly they are the they are filling a market need that has not existed mm-hmm. uh, that needs to exist and 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 and, and they're managing to exist even with policies that honestly probably hurt them more than help them yeah uh, you make one policy that actually f- like that but pushes people away from this consumptive nature we have now and towards a more collaborative nature and every little piece of these things suddenly gets you want to see scale that's how you get scale well, and, he, and here's the epiphany that they're talking about. Um, is it's the epiphany that you know? It, w- w- there's been a lot of focus on, and and it's very intentional focus on the things. And we've spoken about this before. The things that you need to give up mm. to deal with climate change. Uh, that you need to, you need to give all these things up. And it's true. Some of them are nonsense. Some of them mm. are, are are completely red herrings. Uh, but it's true. You have to give some stuff up. But here's the epiphany. The epiphany is when people realize that there's more that you get back. It's about the net balance. If you give me 25 cents, I'll give you $5. That's really what's going on here. And people have only been informed, have only been told about, or they only believe that they have to give 25 cents. The fact is, is that we're going to give them $5 and change. The, the renewable energy revolution is going to lower the cost of energy, revolutionize democracy of power grid, put people in charge. You, you don't like paying utility bills? Then generate your own power. This is like the most libertarian, the most conservative, the most right-wing ideology ever. We don't want the government in our, in our business. We want to do it ourselves. Great. That's what renewable energy is. <laughs> yeah. And when that shoe <clears throat> drops, that's the epiphany. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like a, th- a fantastic point. Well, like gaining the critical mass to do so. And like, thank God we have like this consumerist mindset with technology because it's allowing us to get that message out there and to show people that there are many, many alternatives to the regular economic stance, right? Like you said, like you can start generating your own power through, you know, geothermal heating or, or photovoltaic cells and, and putting it back into the grid and actually starting to generate money back into your own pocket, essentially making your energy consumption free. Yeah. You know, that could happen that that we are going in that direction and that, you know, behavioral shift because of critical mass is definitely being aided, you know, via beautiful platforms like this where everybody can have a voice and everybody has Twitter and social media helps all of that take place. So, like, that's one thing that a lot of startups are are struggling with and a lot of environmental groups are struggling with. But it's becoming easier and easier and easier with each new technological innovation. So, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. And I think the greatest like I think the greatest example of whether or not you think whether infrastructure exists or how ideas are or how good an idea is, um, is try to explain backwards. Mm. Um, For example, 
picture like picture if the world was the way it could be, and then try to convince someone to go to do what we do now. <laughs> uh, like picture, Good luck. Like, hey, 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 I know we have all this really cheap renewable energy, but how about we go dig out some fossils from under the Arctic ice caps? <laughs> well, exactly. Or, 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 like you know, uh, to your point, uh, in Germany, most of the building regulations are such that most new houses that are being built, or a good percentage of new houses that are being built, um, generate more energy than they consume. So your house makes you money. Yeah, they have like net zero residential neighborhoods in Germany. It's yeah. like mind blowing. Like, and there's a lot of innovation actually happening in this city following that metric right now like i have a uh, i have friends that work in tridel in the innovation department and they're starting to try and build net zero units and net zero buildings so it's happening it's slow because of the regulations in toronto with our, our building codes and stuff like that so it can be costly but you know those changes are slowly happening and it'll be another five ten years before we see like net zero full buildings mm-hmm. like absolutely zero footprint incredible i would love to see it i hope i'm you know still around to see it but i, I think it's definitely going to happen i think technology is leading us in that right direction right yeah. now and just like just just to finish that thought like pictures trying to be hey person who currently makes money from their house what if you lost money with your house what if what if <laughs> yeah. that happened 2007 or, what no <laughs> there you go yeah, exactly. um or you know and, and or some of the tool library like pictures like i just like i, I get all the tools i want 50 dollars, and i just go there and get it to compare to what if you spend a thousand dollars on tools and use them once <laughs> what if you did that instead how was that idea for you it's but, like but that's the thing that's like, the thing is when you hear these arguments from like when you hear the negative arguments when you hear the arguments against the the renewable energy it is never it is almost never at this point i almost said never it's almost never um these are not things that we want with the wind energy thing there's a really stupid little sub issue there but that's i mean generally speaking when we're talking about the suite of technologies known as renewable energy technologies um the argument is not i don't want them the argument is i don't want to pay more for my energy to suit your moral preferences Mm -hmm. they don't think the problem they don't think that there's a real problem that's being addressed or if they do they don't think it's a serious problem and they think that their costs will go up the initial costs will go up but eventually it will be cheaper and it will be cheaper very, very fast and it will be cheaper from that point on ever. It's the same thing as when we had the uh, the, the renovation guys on the other day mm-hmm. is the exact same argument. You spend a thousand bucks heat sealing your room, uh, your house. Yes, it's going to cost you a thousand dollars, but you're going to save that thousand dollars back over the next year and a half. And every day after that, you're making money. Yeah. It's the most conservative, simple mm-hmm. ideology in the world. And the, and that's the thing. Like if it would be different if, if they had an argument that said, look, this is a subjective issue. I don't agree with your position on cruelty to animals, for instance. Uh, so I'm not going to pay more for my whatever shoes, blah, 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 because to suit your moral subjectivity. Fine. We can have a conversation about that. This isn't subjective, though. Mm. You're just wrong about the reality. <laughs> You're just factually yeah, wrong. It's, it's and like if we, you were properly informed, you'd agree with us. So yeah. let's get on with this. Yeah, it's like we said before. Like it's That whole idea is like getting that critical mass shift in behavior, right? So it's the whole idea of having a tangible result. Like I want to be able to see my energy savings in my hands. I want to be able mm. to feel it. And I want to be able to show it to my friends. Like that's still that consumerist ideology that we're trying to get the mass to shift mm. into a different direction. People would like love to like retrofit their house with all the green energy things that they can, but they can't really show that off unless you have like now you can show off a you know solar roof, which is great, but you know you have to be pretty high up to see that. Yeah. So a lot of people and a lot of uh, people that have the money to actually do these changes, uh, it's not subsidized rates or anything like that, want to be able to show it off, and it's hard. That's I think why Tesla is so so popular right now. Because you're driving around a $90,000 hybrid or a $90,000 eco-friendly electric car. That's the best marketing in the world, right? Like They're like, this is what I have. I'm eco-friendly, right? That's what they want to be able to see. And 
that's starting to happen in every other sector. It's just taking so much no, time. Knowing that you're in the hippie, eco-friendly car, though, can also mm-hmm. dust most sports cars. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like a Ferrari pulls up next to you and you can still leave them behind. It's pretty yeah. impressive. <laughs> and I think and it, and it comes down to when you, when you think about the arguments uh, against sort of the things. Like when I say you want $1,000, uh, you want $1,000 for a bunch of tools that you'll never use. Um, the argu- I think the argument for that comes from this really – it's an, a. It's interesting that it's the last like fifty years. I had this really funny conversation with my my stepmom. Mm. Um, hi, Dale. Um, you're probably not listening, but hello anyway. <laughs> um, uh, my stepmom last week uh, about she was like, "Have you heard of this thing called uh, upcycling?" Uh, she was reading a book, uh, and I was like, "And I was like, yeah." She, we had a conversation about it, and I, my way explained to her is like, "Really, what's funny about this is." If there was a person who's like in 80 or 90 years old here in this conversation, they would just be laughing at us because that's what they did then. It's like we've created this really sexy word, upcycling, which literally just means, hey, you know, like what your grandfather probably did all the time. Your yeah. grandfather had a table. You know, your grandmother that broke. saves all the ketchup packets and puts them in her purse. That's upside. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, like, you know, you're, that is the most fundamental way of putting it. And I absolutely <laughs> love that analogy. Uh, like it's just like it's one of those things where we, the, 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 so the new climate movement has taken literally what we did 80 years ago uh and this may come up with sexy new words for them and are reselling them to people uh and and i think what's interesting about that isn't so much that like i'm not trying to that's not a bad thing what a point i'm trying to make is that something happened in those 80 interim 80 years mm. and what happened in those interim 80 years was society started telling people that all they should want is their own stuff yeah all they should want is their own stuff be individualistic be consumerist only buy stuff like if you don't own it you don't have it i think it was called reaganomics <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of um, open up the economy uh, and let everybody run wild yeah we're running up right about to where our second music break should be so i actually want to i want to sneak in one last story because sure. there's a great segue and then we'll start fresh after the music break so this actually leads perfectly into two things one of them we were talking about this is a mindset thing think of the idea of like if you if you've ever seen a video go on youtube type in uh, ideal you know female form or ideal male form mm. for the past you know couple of centuries and you'll find that you know there was times in history when being super overweight was very sexy because uh, that was a display of wealth. Uh, Right now, having private everything is considered the ultimate display of status. Mm. Uh, And it is not inconceivable. It is not inconceivable at all, I think, to to push the narrative to be that the, the display of wealth, the display of status is how many other people can you you can can benefit from the things that you own. Mm-hmm. A complete flipping on its head of that. And I own a car perhaps. that's so clean and so electric that I can take 14 other people to work with me and without using a drop of gas. And mm-hmm. that's the thing that people brag about. It's not impossible. Stranger things have happened. But so the very last thing I wanted to sneak in, that was my final comment. The last thing I wanted to sneak in that's very on topic for this is the NASA story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to get into the details that you can look it up on the on the show post uh don't vote for this one for me to get an interview we'll talk about it more but i'm <laughs> i'm not going to be able to reach nasa on a week's notice um, but there's a brand new uh spacecraft now that's coming out that's focusing essentially on uh, uh transit to the international space station and explicitly and this is a nasa project uh for uh suborbital tourism that now they now join i believe a, a russian company uh probably state-owned uh, and SpaceX, of course, Elon Musk's company, same guy as Tesla. There's now three major players with a lot of money investing in uh, suborbital tourism. And I think this actually could be an amazing thing. And here's why. Uh, people will talk a lot about, uh, or you, if you go and you look at the sort of history of environmentalism or the history of space travel, for that matter, people will talk about the, bl- the blue dot moment. Uh, it's the, the famous uh, pale blue dot line. It's the, the clip I've played of uh, Carl Sagan a million times. Uh, if you haven't heard me play Carl Sagan, you haven't been listening to the show very often. <laughs> um, but it's that moment. It's that epiphany of the first time that people, the, the camera was turned around and they took a picture of Earth. And what a sort of mind change that was for people, how, how powerful that image was. 
the people, unfortunately, right now with the most influence is dictated by money. People with money are the people who are going to be doing the suborbital space travel. I'm hopeful, and it's, it could, I could be wrong here, but I'm hopeful that they actually happens, this happens a lot. And what we actually get here is a whole bunch of people with a lot of money and influence who gain that same perspective, who float around Earth because they felt like it would be fun and it's a fun thing to do with their money. And they come back changed thinking about this planet as one unit that should be cared for as such. I might be, uh, I might be out on a wire here. I might be having a pipe dream. But that's my hope and my thought, Stefan, for final comment. Yeah, uh, I was going to say that um, on, on that topic and sort of on the uh, top of the epiphany, which I think is to some extent what the, uh, this last 20 minutes has been sort of about, um, is that it's doable, I think. It's actually doable. If, 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 if in 80 years we can convince everyone to buy bottled water instead of getting water out of their tap, we can, t- we can get them to go back to using the tap. <laughs> we right, hope, so, at the very least. <laughs> with that, we're, we're going to bring Edward back in, who's going to give us uh, the, the second song from the same band, I believe. Do you want to give us the read-in? And then we'll be back uh, in the last few minutes here for the, uh, with some more news stories here on The Green Majority. You've been listening to The Green Majority. I'm your host, Darren Kaster. Stefan Hossetter is here as well, and Francis Scherer from Blanc Ride as well. Uh, back in a minute, though. So, Edward, what are we going to listen to? Hi. Uh, yeah, we got another song by uh, Rob Jankowski. Um, and you wanted to give a shout out that he's playing at the Horseshoe Tavern on October 6th. He's coming at on at 9.50. Um, and the next song that I'm going to play is another one that I like off the album. Uh, off the album, Norman Take a Knee. It's called All the Bridges That I've Burned.
right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I did not mention yet today, and I've, I don't think I've ever not mentioned it. So thank goodness I remembered. Thank you very much. Not just CIUT, but also we go to about 24 now community mm. partner stations across the country. We actually got a new station last week, uh, but I haven't confirmed when their play date is yet. Uh, and so because of that, it wasn't. I didn't write it down. So I've actually forgotten what the station is. But we have a new station. <laughs> uh, 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 it, it was uh, – uh, uh, oh, damn. It'll come back to me. I think it was actually a station in Yukon. Ooh, cool. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. It was our first, our first sort of northern, uh, our northern uh, exposure. Northern exposure. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, so we have about nine news stories left, and I don't know what you guys want to talk about, but I want to at least mention all of them. So what, I, what we're going to do here, we've got about fifteen minutes left, maybe a little less. Uh, I'm going to skim through all these stories, just the headlines. I'm not even going to describe them, and then I'll let you guys decide which one you want to dig into more. Uh, so on the same topic of uh, climate change, while we're at it, researchers have uh, f- uh, found that melting permafrost, aside from being a giant carbon bomb. Mm. which could immediately just erase any hope and effort we have of dealing with climate change, uh, also happens to contain live viruses from 30,000 years ago. Uh, And they have no idea if they're dangerous or not. And we have no idea what's down there. But they've started to wake them up so they can test them. So they're essentially, they've been in... uh, uh, They've been frozen, literally, but they're still alive. Uh, They're waking them up to try and determine if they're dangerous or not. But who knows how many are down there? So forget climate change. We could just get wiped out by smallpox from 30,000 years ago uh, tomorrow. So that's some good news. Kevin Uh, Farmer fact check. Kevin Farmer fact check. Uh, Which is uh, TM. (laughs) Kevin Farmer fact check TM. Uh, You said carbon bomb. It's a methane bomb. Sorry, methane Uh, bomb. They they both technically uh, will... create greenhouse gases are they with the greenhouse gases methane is honestly actually a much worse greenhouse gas than carbon however there's no carbon it is methane continue uh, uh, Fort Nelson uh, First Nation wins Nexon fraction uh, license ruling. Uh, so there was a, a ruling in uh, favor of some uh, Aboriginal groups uh, challenging access to a water resource on their land, uh, saying uh, the Environmental Board of Appeal overturned the water license granted to an oil and gas company. Uh, ruling the license was based on bad science and bad faith. Uh, unfortunately, on the other hand, there was also a loss. Um, uh, the, the Aboriginal leaders from northern BC are, are now speaking with a unified voice on fair consultation because their rights have been, they say, completely ignored, and I do not find that very surprising, whatever. Uh, also, world's largest solar farm will generate enough electricity to power 320,000 households. Guess where it is, Stefan? Where? Pakistan. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a, some concerns there, I think legitimately outlined in the article here about the fact that the only trouble with it is that Pakistan already has some drought issues, and uh, keeping the panels clean is consuming a lot of water. So there is a concern there, but it is now officially the world's largest active solar farm, and it's in Pakistan. Uh, Also on that note, we also now have the world's first airport that is not only 100% solar, Stefan, but it produces more energy than it consumes and puts back to the grid. How cool is that? Uh, Another uh, article was, what do chief executives really think about climate change? Uh, That was a a report from uh, Business Green. Uh, It turns out the Coles Oats version essentially is, is that they've been talking a good game as far as being concerned about climate for quite some time. But the surveys are finding out that actually things are happening. I've got some numbers if you want to talk about it. Uh, If not, if we don't talk about it, look at the article online. Very interesting as far as numbers of companies and CEOs that are talking a good game and then actually implementing stuff. And that ratio, that gap is closing very quickly, apparently. Very good news. What do they say that's for? Moral reasons. Why are they actually doing it? They're recognizing that they're going to make a hell of a lot of money if they do. <laughs> Are we surprised? No, we're not. Next one. Utilities waging war against rooftop solar. Uh, this is mostly about the U.S., uh, but largely it's been other than the Koch brothers. A lot of utility companies have been uh, asleep on this issue a little bit. Uh, either it, some of them have been adopting it, some of them have been fighting it, but largely the, the utility industry has been ignoring it. 
Solar is coming so fast and so strong, and so is wind and geothermal and all sorts of other cool technologies. They are starting to realize that uh, the ones that don't want to simply change their business model to include these technologies are now joining uh, people like the Koch brothers to try and fight it because they're stupid, apparently. Uh, big banks say that it's going to cost a lot more to do uh, a lot to do nothing on global warming. Uh, again, this is something we already knew, but now it's uh, some fairly conservative banks that are saying it, including Citibank, uh, not tending to be the world leaders on climate so they're even coming around and the final one here is that climate change and the insurance industry or insurance industry is actually one of the earliest big game adopters of this why because it directly threatens their business model if you want to find out who's going to believe in climate change in an order of likelihood find out who has stands to make or lose a lot of money based on it and you'll pretty much find that it lines up one to one those are the news stories i had left over what do you gentlemen want to talk about we've got about nine minutes go for it can i do one that wasn't on there yes uh, great. Um, and I just, I just decided I was inspired actually, uh, during the show by, uh, during the music break, I was, I checked my Facebook and I saw a post and I, I felt like it was, uh, it was great in part because, uh, in the, in the first thing we referenced today, the climate, um, the, cl- what are in the climate movement? Uh, one part of it, what he said that was really important in the, in the sort of movement forward is that we have a movement now. Uh, that there's the people and and that that in the having the movement you know you have the, you have their own culture and a and a, and a piece of that, uh, and I think perhaps and it, it goes also back to my to my ode to climate trolls that I had a while back because uh, I think the perhaps what I'm most the most imp- what I think is actually the most important part uh, of of the movement and what I think is the most interesting part of the movement um, is that it comes down to something called which I've just termed right now uh, intersectional environmentalism. Uh, historically, environmentalism has been, you know, we came out of rich white people wanting to conserve land, uh, and it has, it has stayed, it has stayed, you know, somewhat true to that nature for, for, for a very long time. And I think the, but the movement is, is not that, and the movement is intersectional and, uh, and, and is moving beyond sort of this, this nature. And with that said, um, we are, we, we, we broadcast out of U of T. Uh, yesterday, there was three different, uh, basically, death threat posts uh, to uh, women and feminists and anyone in women's studies uh, to basically saying you can rent a gun and go shoot them. Uh, and I think it's I think it's respo- it's, our, it's our responsibility in part just because of we're human beings uh, who happen to be privileged enough to have a, a mic. Uh, in front of us that broadcasts mm. um, and I think this is the kind of thing that has to be talked about and has to be brought to the fore that this is something that pe- like when anyone tries to claim that we live in a fair equal society um, find me the posts about how someone should go and shoot all the engineers um, yeah there are really no stats that actually support a fair and equal society yeah. in any respect you're like oh yeah it's, you know, we're all about equality okay prove it yeah, put ex- your money where your mouth is let's see the actual equality pay a woman the same thing that you're going to pay a man I want to see that happen. Give them the same opportunities. Give everybody the same opportunities for every little thing. Access to education, access to water, access to resources, access to to absolutely every facet of society. Exactly. And I think – so I think what – I think what I want to – the point I want to get across here mostly um, is – this is a conversation everyone has to have. There has to be a conversation everyone has to have that, yeah, we live in a society that is terrifying for a large percentage of the people here, and it's because things like this happen on a daily basis. Um, 
And to ignore that or to pretend that uh, everyone is, you know, to pretend that hashtag all lives matter is a is a is a nice hashtag um, and not something that's trying to silence uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement is ridiculous. Mm. And I think if environmentalism is going to be successful and if we are going to save the world, we have to make it a world worth saving. Mm. Uh, which requires a level of intersectionality and understanding and appreciation that of all of these lives that we've sort of we, that we have that history history and society has trampled upon for centuries, millennia, um, and 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 appreciate that their voices need to be the voices we hear, mm. uh, and and that we can't just ignore this and pretend that nothing happened uh, because these are the threats people face every day. Uh, so I sort of totally changed the tone of the whole show. Uh, no, that's and, with okay. that I, and with that, I somewhat apologize. I, I'm actually going to play off that a little bit because uh, when I, when we were in New York, how much, uh, I should see before we I start minutes. storytelling here. Okay. Uh, when we were in New York, I had, I'll tell a very brief experience that, that's very much on that point. So uh, it looks like we're done with news for the show. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about something, vote for the news. So here's what we'll close with. When I was in New York, we were coming back from one of the, one of the rallies, 500,000 people plus in New York City. Um, we were coming back off one of the subways and there was a gentleman there who was, was sort of smiling, but he was clearly agitated and was sort of giving us a hard time. We're just coming off the subway. We didn't engage with him at all, but he engaged with us. Uh, the gentleman was an African American and he, after sort of toying with us a little bit back and forth, like he was just being a bit weird. I didn't really know is this is a crazy guy. What's going on? Like he was just being weird. Mm. Uh, but I, he spoke directly to me and, and he, he didn't seem crazy. He just looked agitated by this point. I decided, so I engaged with him and I said, so look, what's, what's, what's the deal here? You know, how can I help you? <laughs> what's, what's your problem? Uh, and he explained to me, he said, you know, it's oh, you good for your liberals, blah, blah, blah. What about us? We can't eat. We can't eat your boot. And he literally said, I remember this burned into my memory because no one has ever spoken to me in this way before. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just meant like it really re- struck me. He said, how am I supposed to help you with your boot on my neck? And the thing is, I personally am not doing it. But and maybe the movement is, maybe it isn't. But the perception that that's the case makes the reality irrelevant. If we can't, if we aren't in being inclusive, if we aren't looking out to protect the people that are being the hurt most by these things and making that connection for people that, hey, here's how we get you equality by getting government programs to build solar panels in your community so that we help the environment and you get helped. This is, we, we want to help you through this and that these movements are the same and that when we're talking about global equity and climate change, we're also talking about human rights and social rights and all these other things. We need to do it and we need to say it and we need it to be more clear. If we're not doing it, we have no moral authority whatsoever. And if we're not saying it, we're going to lose. That's, uh, that'll be my final comment. I've got time for a cloning comment from Stefan though. Uh, yeah. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's exactly. It. I think what we, what's interesting about this is we spent, 20 years uh, or 30, 40, 50 years working as these, you know, not nothing against large NGOs. Uh, they do a lot of good work. Uh, but the environment was rely- the environment movement was basically made up of only large NGOs. Uh, and then uh, and large NGOs and people who are part of them don't create movements uh, and move only movements really change things. Uh, and I think to get to a point where environmental justice, I think, has to be the central tenet of the environmental movement uh, without environmental justice, uh, environmental justice that is you know intersectional uh, that actually takes uh, into account the, the like helping women helps the environment helping he- like helping poor people helps the environment um, creating a just and fair and equitable society uh, is the only way uh, forward 
in all of the facets. You want to see? Do you? If you want to ever see the the road towards uh, two, three, four, five, six degrees of global warming, uh, a look back to see what we've done, um, and and it's paved still with the perpetuation of the patriarchy. It's the it's paved in the perpetuation of all of the sort of terrible things we've done before, because. Um, and the only way to stop that is to fundamentally, you want an epiphany, how about treating everyone like their lives matter? Or another way to phrase that might be, we clearly, the people who are in charge, suck at being in charge. So let's get <laughs> some other people in charge and try them about. That's all we have time for we have for this week. Thank you so much to our guest, uh, Francis Scherer from uh, Blanc Ride. And for all our listeners this week, have a good Green Week, folks, and we'll talk to you real soon. Check out the show post and vote for the news at greenmajority.ca. Take care.